Good morning. I hope all of you are doing well. Uh, we're going to continue in our hopefully wonderful series in Revelation. I'm going to scoot a little of this back so I will knock it over. And that would be bad. Um, so if you've been with us these past uh, little while, and particularly these past two weeks, we've met some interesting characters in the story of Revelation. We met the dragon, who is the enemy, the devil, right? And we, uh, we found out that a couple weeks ago he was defeated in this cosmic heavenly battle and was thrown down to earth. We found out that he has very limited time on the earth, which is why he's out doing all sorts of things because he wants to go out. He wants to go out with a bang, and he's throwing everything at the forces of good, and particularly at earth, and particularly us as Christians, to take down as many of us as he possibly can before he goes out. He's got 42 months, three and a half year, a times a time and time and a half, or you know, and and in that time, what he's decided to do as the dragon, he's decided to unleash. Two beasts, one of the sea that we met last week, and then the one of the earth that we, will ma- uh, that we will meet today to take down as many of God's people as he can. We saw last week that the first beast, the beast of the sea, is the dragon-manipulated political powers who think that they're God and are trying to get people to turn their allegiance and worship from God onto them, right? And they do this by imitating the lamb and imitating all the things that he does, even imitating the fact that God is the one who, ri- uh, who resurrects back to life, and they're trying to raise themselves back to life by having one of their heads seem as if slain. Now today, we will meet the beast of the earth, because the beast of the sea has a friend. He's the third of the counterfeit trinity, as I called them last week. And this friend, this earth beast, is none other than, at least what I described, the best hype man the world has ever seen. So today's sermon title is Say Hello to My Not-So-Little Friend, The Hype Man. Now, who knows what a hype man is? Anyone? Hannah, what's a hype man? Yeah, so have you ever been to a rap concert, right? Like Jay-Z always has a hype man. Like it, the, the guy, Jay-Z, he's the guy, and he's the one who's doing the thing. And the hype, there's always that guy going, you know, screaming off on the side, getting people riled up, and then he repeats the last words, right? And he always repeats the last thing, and he always goes like off the cup, and he's trying to get everyone hyped, like excited. Every great artist has a great hype man, if you didn't notice. And the reason you need one is because it's really tiring to do that. You need someone to keep that going with you. It's a person who's on stage, who's always, you know, like uh, hyping up the crowd. The crowd always going. The energy is going. And people in the world now recognize that not just in music, but in business and all aspects of life, you need a hype man. If you're starting a business, they say, if you don't have a good hype man, you're probably not going to get it. Because you need someone who's going to drive the crowd, drive up the excitement, keep the energy going because you've got a lot of other things to focus on and you need people's attention on you so that the main artist or the main businessman can do what they do best in order to thrive. Right? It's why, as scripture says here, as we'll read, it says he exercises all the authority of the first beast, or the second beast, and he makes all the earth and those who dwell in it worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. The second beast, the hype man, is trying to get everyone to worship the first beast more and is helping the first beast do that very thing. The second beast is the propagandist, as you might call him, or the public relations. Every big star has a PR firm, right, who's doing all the stuff in the world to make sure that their image and everything is the way that it's meant to be. And this goal of the first hype beast, or sorry, not hype beast, oh, I didn't didn't mean to do it. The first hype man, the second beast, the hype man, I knew I was going to do that at some point today. His goal is to get people to worship the first beast. And the first beast's goal is to get people to worship him, which is the goal of the dragon, because the dragon wants to be God, but realized that he can't, and was trying to make as many people turn away from God as possible. Okay? So here's what we're going to do today. 
We're going to ask three major questions, well, like three and a fourth, kind of, right? Questions to help us understand, right, what the dragon is doing, because the, as I said, the dragon isn't coming directly after us. He's coming at us with these two beasts. So here are the questions that we're going to ask. And, uh, Patrick, you can put up the slide. Question number one, I apologize, it's so small. How does the beast do what it does? Like, what is his role? What is he doing? How does he do what he does? Question number two, what or who is this beast of the earth? And question number three, what does this mean for us? How do we counterattack? And then the kind of a fourth sub-question, maybe if you're interested, is what's the big deal with the number 666? And if you've been in church a while, this is one of those numbers we throw around a lot, but today I will tell you what the 666 means. So if you have your Bible, let's turn and flip to Revelation chapter 13, verses, uh, where are we at? Ooh, I've lost my place. Chapter 13, verses 11 through 18, we'll read and we'll jump in, ask these questions, and hopefully figure out how the dragon is after us and how we might best counterattack this, okay? So Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. As always, the words will be on the screen behind me. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like the lamb, like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that even he makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which have been given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many, do not, as many who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the slave, to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy and or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here's wisdom then. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together and jump right in. Father, would you speak in this place? Would you do that which I cannot, and would you help us to hear and to know, and indeed that the beast is alive and well, at least here on earth, never to return to heaven again, but running amok and trying to ruin us as best as he can. And we pray that you would give us the tools and the understanding to indeed fight and to counterattack so that we may not be thwarted, we may not be taken, we may not fall and worship anything, anyone other than you. We pray that this would be indeed the truth for us as the church and for the many who need it in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does the hype man do? Right? What does he do? As I said earlier, the main role of the hype man is to do whatever it takes to manipulate all of us to trusting and following beast number one, which we identified last week as the political powers who've moved out from under God's control. And this beast does this much like the first one does it, through imitation and mimicking, right? And here's a list of things that he does and how he uh, mimics it, right? One, there's an OT reference. It says he does great signs. That, those words are taken directly from when Moses was performing great signs in Exodus to the whole, you know, the Prince of Egypt story, right? That thing. Then there's a fire of heaven that he um, brings down out of heaven to make men see. That's exactly what Elijah did in 1 Kings. And the signs and the, and the fire and all these things it says basically are causing people to be like, oh my goodness, that's so freaking cool, and then worship the beast. He's pumping the crowd up. It's what a hype man does, right? But he imitates Jesus even more. He looks like Jesus. It says he has two horns like a lamb, and we all know that the lamb is Jesus. But rather, he doesn't speak like the lamb. He speaks like a dragon, 
but he mimics the strength of the lamb to do miracles with his horns, and the horns are a symbol of strength. He makes images like the first, he makes images of the first beast. And if you know anything about images, we know that story, we know that language from Genesis, and God does, God makes us in his image. He even gives breath to the image, which is what God does to us. God gives us breath, and his breath is alive in us, and that's how we live. He marks people as the lamb does on their foreheads, but also on their right hand, just like the lamb marks us on our foreheads, right? And if you have the mark of Jesus, right, which is not literal, symbolic, it means that you and I have his name and his character, and it says here that the mark is either his name or the number embedded onto our souls. And if you know the way of the dragon, it's slander, accusation, deception, threats, etc., etc. People ask, like, then why the forehead and the hand? Why not just the forehead? Well, it's because the forehead is where it's conceptually noticeable, and it represents your mind and your philosophical commitment to him, and the hand is the thing that you do it with. It's, it's, the, it's the practical outworking of the commitment. Now, an interesting side note, and I, I, I was debating whether I want to talk about this, but briefly I'll mention it. For a little while, early in the 2000s, there was all this talk about the beast and the mark of the beast and 666 being like tattoos and microchips. I even had a, a pastor that I didn't want to come, but my elder forced me to do it. He came to my church in Surrey one time in, in, in British Columbia and had him present a 35-minute talk about how in the world people are embedding microchips into babies as the sign of the beast and that we should be careful and then when we have kids or whatever that we shouldn't allow this to happen, blah, 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 all this stuff. There's actually talk and chatter about how the mark of the beast is an actual physical tattoo or like a microchip being implanted. Let me just tell you, it's not true. It's a symbolic thing, right? God's mark is not actually a literal mark on the forehead. It's a symbolic mark, and the mark of the beast is also a symbolic mark that's quote-unquote on our forehead, in our minds, and also in our hands, which is what we do things with. And by the way, I haven't actually seen any of these microchip stuff going around in the world since then. This was like 2000 and six or seven or eight or whatever, whenever it was, whatever, and haven't seen it since, so don't worry. But he also mimics, right? This beast mimics Jesus, right, through this deception. He makes people, he makes the image speak to get people to believe the image. He also threatens and harms people, preventing people from buying or selling, which is like basically not allowing them to make a living, and which is then basically they die. And he even then kills people who don't worship the first beast. Here's the point. The dragon wants to be God, can't and was defeated. The dragon then manipulates political powers, makes them into the first beast to take people's allegiance away from God and have them follow the political powers. And then there's the second beast, the hype man, who's out to make sure that all of us do indeed do all these things. Because, and I quote, political power cannot exist on its own, especially when it moves out from under God. It needs the breath or the spirit which the second beast provides. So just like any good music or rapper needs a hype man, the first beast needs his hype man too. And the second beast is the best hype man the world has ever seen. Cool? That's how the hype man does his work. Now the second question then, what or who is the second beast, the beast of the earth? The beasts of the earth are dragon-manipulated religious powers and institutions. Now you might be wondering, wait, 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 Pastor, wait. Where are you getting this? Because that's a pretty serious accusation you're making here. That religious powers in the world are acting as the hype man to the political powers who've gone astray, which means then, as we talked about in praise practice, that we should be kind of weary of what we hear, that everyone who's up here may be doing the right thing, and there's all sorts of, like, we, uh, one of the students said, that kind of makes me a little scared because that means I don't know if I should trust you or not, which is actually true. But here's where I get this. 
Did you notice and did you pick up the religious overtones throughout the passage? But even more so than that, follow with me here. Remember the seven churches that we went through? We went through like four of them, right? The seven churches, one of their main issues was false prophets. And later on in Revelation 16, 19, and 20, we'll actually get to see the false prophets much more clearly. But also, Jesus was always warning about false prophets throughout his entire life. And so was Paul. But Jesus one time even said, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus was even then calling out the beast, saying, the beast are wolves, but they're dressed up like sheep. You're going to trust them, but you have to be careful. And it was interestingly, the local religious authorities of those seven cities that Jesus was, or John is writing to, in which they were the, the religious authorities were the advocates of emperor worship. The religious people were the ones telling people, hey, you got to worship the emperor. The emperor is the real God. It was them who was driving all this, so much so that a historian once said, and I quote, and this is on the page, it would have never occurred to Augustus, which was an emperor, Caesar, to claim divinity if someone else hadn't raised the possibility. See, idolatry in the political realm would never actually have come about without the support of the religious realm. Someone kind of notified me this uh, most recently. I don't know much about this, but the Korean former president, or the one that's on its way, she's, that's being impeached, the, the, thing, the, the person acting behind her is a shamanist person, a religious power influencing the political power to do all that she's doing. And if you know what's happening in Korea, a lot of it is a lot of people, are, it's like it's very split, it's very divided between whether this president is good and or not. But even back in history, this was going on. In Asia Minor, right, which is where all the churches are that, uh, that John was writing to, there was a group called the Commune of Asia, okay? And this group was a group of priests from the emperor cult. And what they wanted to do was get as many people to worship the emperor as possible and to worship the empire, then the Roman Empire. And they did this in lots of different ways. After they basically had the statues built, so they would convince people and they would convince the emperors that they needed statues, right? So they would put up these big old golden or whatever statues. And then they would hook up this statue with like pulleys and things that were hidden in them. And they would basically have people gather around the statues. True story. They would have people gather around the statues, use these pulleys, and make people think that these statues somehow magically were moving their arms and doing these things. Crazy. And then they even used ventriloquism to make people think that these statues were talking as if these statues were like magical things that could talk and have all these power. And people would then believe it. And it says it right here that the second beast gives breath to the image so that the images would even speak, which is to deceive them. Hear this quote, and it's on the screen. This is a sobering reality of the present. Even religion can become the enemy of discipleship, but even more so than politics because it is religion that sustains political power. If you're not still convinced, let me keep going and give you more. Interestingly, this beast we're told, has two horns like the lamb. But if you remember, the lamb, which is the real lamb, has seven horns. And you might be wondering, why the difference? Well, it's because the first beast is imitating the lamb, and the second beast is not the lamb. The second beast is the witness to the first beast. He's the hype man. And if you remember, the lamb has witnesses too. And the lamb's witnesses all come in pairs of twos. Two lampstands, two olive trees, and so on and so forth. So the second beast is the witness to the first beast. And the witness's job, like we are as witnesses of Jesus Christ, is to get as many people to worship the first beast as possible by any means necessary. 
And the best way to do this, and this is the scary part, is to infiltrate the church itself. Jesus clearly says, and we learned clearly in the Bible, that false prophets are the most dangerous when they are often found in the church. And if you think this is crazy, this was happening in the churches at the time John was writing. In Ephesus, in Pergamum, in Thyatira, there were false witnesses everywhere. Particularly if you remember the story of Jezebel, she was a false prophet, trying to get people to think that you can worship God and worship the kingdom all at the same time, which is not true, which you can't. And I don't want to go on a long diatribe, but if you've ever heard of the prosperity gospel, this is exactly the kind of thing that we're talking about. The prosperity gospel teaches you things like, if you pray the right way, do the right things, then God will make you rich. Which is a very interesting statement, because that means if you're not rich, that means you're not doing things the right way. And interestingly, Jesus was always a very poor person, very materially poor all the time. And he spoke against the dangers of money, right? And there were people back in the day, religious people who were stealing from widows, Widows who have no power in the system, religious people, pastors of our day, scribes and Pharisees would go to the widows' homes and they would basically just, just tear down the house and take everything from them, use the money, buy themselves nice clothing to look fancy in the church. It's been happening all over the place. False prophets throughout the history of the world have been advocating that we put our trust in human things, human powers, human institutions. One theologian says they encourage us in the name of God to seek salvation and human resources, success, fame, money, etc., human technologies, and human ideologies. Now, let me make clear real quick before we go on. I'm not saying that you can't be wealthy and be a Christian. No, 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 no. I know many of us at our church, many of us around me in the world that I live in, that are very well off and doing well financially, but also very strong believers. What I'm saying is the richer you are, the harder it is to be a genuine Christian. I think Jesus makes that fairly clear. Because the temptations, the temptation to think that salvation is from anything other than God is harder when you have a lot, when you have power and money and success and fame. And if you think about the Christian story and the history of the church, the number of people who have, and even unknowingly or mistakenly, who've placed their trust and allegiance and worship in something other than God it's too many to count. So we have to beware of false prophets and the religious powers. Now, here's what it all means. Let me put it all together, okay? Because it might be like, ooh, lots of information today. So how, what does this mean for us? Question number three. How do we counterattack this thing? Well, to do that, we've got to ask ourselves the fourth question, which is to understand what does 666 means? Because the way that John writes, he says it like this. He says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. The number of the enemy, 666. What is it? What does it mean? Because whatever it is, it seems, is wisdom to us. And so when we figure out what 666 means, then we'll know how to counterattack what the second beast is doing, which then I think we can all agree is going to do good for us. And I think if we also can agree, I think the beast is doing quite a good job at ruining things in the world. So let's Get at this really quickly, and then hopefully we'll wrap it all up and it'll all make sense. What does 666 mean? Okay. A couple of choices. Theologians throughout the history of the world uh, and over time have argued and kind of gone through all these different choices. And the way, after, as I've studied it, I think this is what I think it means. It's not all, these are my theories, by the way. These are much more pe people who are way smarter than I. But there are three, uh, three um, 
theories out there, and I think it's the third, but let's go through them one by one. The first theory of what 666 means has been suggested that John is using what's called geometria. Okay? It's using numbers to spell words and especially names. People in Jesus' time in the first century, they actually didn't have numbers, so they used letters as numeral. If you uh, watched the Super Bowl last weekend, was it last weekend, two weekends, or whatever it was? It was Super Bowl LI, 51. L is 50, the I is 1, right? They didn't have numbers, so they used letters as numbers. If we did gematria, I think I'm pronouncing it wrong, but anyways, if we did that in our world, it'd be like this. A would equal 1, B would equal 2, C would equal 3, D would equal whatever. Ooh, I did that wrong. D does not equal 5, it equals 4, etc. right? But you get it, which means then, if my name was Pastor, which it isn't, but some of you think it is, if my name is Pastor, then my gematria number would be 89. 16 plus 1 plus 19 plus 20 plus 15 plus 18. Which means that all of you then could have a number associated to your name if we were doing this. So depending on the language, it's fairly easy to make names into numbers, but interestingly, it's actually very hard to do the reverse in most languages. And I think this is the reason why throughout the history of the world, so many people have been identified as a 666. The Emperor Nero, Emperor Domitian, Napoleon, Stalin, Hitler, and even Ronald Reagan was one time called 666, which is an interesting theory. Uh, I, I wasn't going to tell this, but Ronald Reagan was thought to be the 666 because his name is Ronald Wilson Reagan. And people, people who hated him thought he was the devil because every single one of his names, Ronald Wilson Reagan, has six letters in it. So like, see? 666. And then to make the story even more crazy, apparently, after he got out of office, he moved to a house in California, and it just happened to be that the house he chose to move into, the house number was 666. People were like, see, I told you. Which then means he immediately changed the number, moved or whatever it is, so that it would never be a part of the thing. But more than Ronald Reagan, the Emperor Nero, and we've talked about him a lot, the craziest emperor perhaps the world has ever known, he was the one that most people have thought, and most people still think, is the, the incarnation of the 666. But if you take the Nero, if you take the name Nero Caesar, 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 and you transliterate it into Hebrew, and then you take the numbers of it, it comes out to 616, not 666. But people think that's a, uh, that applies because in a couple of Greek manuscripts, the number is listed as 616 and not 666, which is most likely just a clerical error. When they wrote the 6 in the second one, they probably just wrote like a line and didn't complete. So probably not likely, okay? Anyways, moving on. Second then theory about the 666 is called the triangular method, okay? The triangular method goes like this. The triangular number of 4 is 10 because it's 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4. You put all the dots in a circle like this, a triangle, right? 1, 2, 3, 4, and you get 10. Okay, and here's the reason why they thought this was this, okay? Follow me. This is, this is how crazy their theories get, but just follow with me here, okay? Six, six, 606, 666 is a triangular number of 36, okay? That's really small up there, which means if you do 36 plus 35 plus 34 and all the way on down, you get 666. 36 is a triangular number of 8. In chapter 13, 18, John begins by saying, here is wisdom and introduces the 666. In chapter 17, 9, he also said, here is the mind which has wisdom. And then right after he talks about seven heads and seven mountains and seven kings, and then he says this very uh, simple phrase. He says, five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he has come, he must remain a little while. The beast, which, has not, which was and is not, is himself also an eighth, which is one of the seven. So if you put it all together, 666, which is a triangular number of 36, which is a triangular number of 8, points to the 8th, which is the beast, and so therefore they think the beast is 666. Follow? Cool? 
And if you take the word beast in Greek, which is therion, and you do the gematria, his number comes out to be 666, interestingly. But again, I think not likely. So what does it all mean? I know I've given you a lot of information. Go home and tell this to your parents. They'll be confused. 666, in my opinion, is a symbolic number like everything else in Revelation. Every number has been symbolic so far. It's not a code that needs to be broken because actually the word calculate, when he says here's wisdom, let him was understanding calculate, that word more likely means interpret and to figure out, not calculate. And interestingly also enough, that phrase, it says figure out the number of the beast, it says, right? For let him who has wisdom figure out, calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, which is what we read. But in Greek, that word uh, the, the, the preposition uh, the article uh, isn't there. Which means it should be read, figure out the number of the beast, for the number is that of man, not a man. Which means that, which means that the number isn't specifically one person, but it's humanity in general. Which is then why my professor says the beast is what we call a supra-human force, and we can give it a human number of 66, but let's break it down even more, okay? And this is where, pay attention now, it's going to all come together, I promise. Six, in the history of the Jewish Rome, was always known to be the number of incompleteness, okay? And the reason why is because it's almost seven, but not quite. Jewish rabbis all thought six was a number of incompleteness because it wasn't until the seventh day in which God rested, okay? Which is why in the book of Revelation we've seen many times John refer to the Spirit as the seven spirits of God, a complete spirit, seven horns, all that kind of stuff, right? But the beast of the earth, as we have seen, only mimics and imitates the Holy Spirit, God, and what it does, right? The Holy Spirit is the helper of Jesus, this second beast is the hype man, the helper of the first beast, but we have seen it only tries to come close and mimic it, but not quite. It's like anything else that you have fake of. Fake Jordans, fake Yeezys, fake whatever. They almost always come close, but there's always something that's just not quite right. Close, but never a seven. Always maybe a six, but never a seven, which means that false religion or religious powers manipulated by the dragon can only come up to a six, not seven. So then why triple six? Well, three is also another number of completeness in the Bible, which then means that 666, to have three numbers of incompleteness in consecutive order, means that the beast of the earth is completely incomplete. Always a counterfeit, always an imitator, always a failure. Failure upon failure upon failure. Or always losing, always losing, always losing. Always falling short, never measuring up to the real thing. The purpose of the number is to characterize that the beast is fake in every way. Looks real, maybe, but not quite the real thing. Again, let's put it all together. What does this mean? The second beast, the earth beast, is the hype man and the first sea beast, whose role is to do whatever it takes to manipulate us, the people, into trusting the first beast, the sea beast, the political powers, right? The second beast are the dragon-manipulated religious powers. And the dragon and his beast want everyone to think that the dragon is God or the beast is God or they themselves are God to do anything to worship anything other than Jesus, to give our allegiance and our hope and our focus and everything to anything but Jesus, and particularly, if you can, to the dragon and the beast. 
And this is how it all came together, and this is how Jesus fought it all, and this is how it all comes together. Follow with me here. Because everything came together and made sense on Good Friday. Because that's the day when the political powers of the day and the religious powers of the day came together to crucify. Get this. On the sixth day of the week, at the sixth hour, the dragon manipulated political power, whose name is Pontius Pilate, got together with a dragon manipulated religious power, who is Caiaphas the high priest, who then decided together to crucify Jesus. But interestingly enough, Pilate, the, the political power, did not want to crucify Jesus. He says again and again and again, I find no guilt in him. I don't want to do anything. I actually want to release him. But who pushed Pilate to crucify him? Do you remember? It's the religious power, the high priest. No, 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 you have to. You have to. Pilate even put a serial killer, Barabbas, on the line with Jesus and said, who do you want me to release? And the Jewish people said, crucify him, crucify him. They said, no, we want Jesus. It is the religious power at the back of the political power who had who did what they did to Jesus because the religious power in the day didn't have the power to actually execute the crucifixion. They needed the political power. The beast of the earth gives breath to the beast of the sea. Even right before Pilate declares that the crucifixion is going to happen, he looks to the crowd and he says, Behold, your king. Because remember Jesus had that sign, king of the Jews? He says, Behold, your king. And you know what the chief priest says? He goes, we have no king but Caesar, which is hilarious because if you're the high priest of God, you have no other king than Caesar. Last I checked, I thought Yahweh was the king of all kings. So how can you call Caesar your king? Beware of wolves in sheep clothing, Jesus says. So how do we counteract this? If the world, if the dragon is in the world on the loose trying to get at us through every measure necessary and is particularly using the political powers and then behind the scenes of the political powers using the hype man, which is the religious powers, how do we overcome, if we're using revelation language, this attack by the enemy? I think two ways. One, listen, watch, or wake up. John says it earlier, let him who has ears, let him hear. He says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding figure out or interpret this number. It's been the call throughout Revelation from the very beginning. If you have ears, hear, wake up, listen, watch out. Things are not as they seem. We must see the world through Revelation glasses, through the way that John sees the world, through the way that Jesus sees the world. That's why we sang today, help me to see things as you see them, because what we see isn't exactly what we think we see. Which is why we've asked the question, what does John see? Which is then the question, what do you see? What are we seeing in the world and how do we see it? When Obama was elected president, again, nothing against him, there were many people who were screaming that he was the last great hope for our country. He was a great president, in my personal opinion, but the last great hope for America? Are you kidding me? The only hope for America, the only hope for the world, the last hope, the hope is Jesus and only Jesus. Obama doesn't deserve, nor does he, yeah, deserve both good and bad, that kind of distinction. He's not that great of a person. Only Jesus is. As we said, Jesus is the only true emperor and king. We looked at a long time ago that every other leader, emperor, king, dictator, whoever, always and forever will have an expiration date. The only one that does not is Jesus, the king himself. Wake up. 
How are you seeing? Let him who has ears hear. And the second way we combat this then is to worship the only true king and true emperor. Question is, which power are you going to surrender to? Because as I've said, we as people, we worship. That's what we do. Are we worshiping the dragon? Or are we worshiping the lamb? Are we worshiping that which is completely incomplete, failure upon failure upon failure? Or are we going to worship the one that is completely perfect and everlasting? The question is, why would you ever worship something that is always losing, always losing, always losing? Why would you worship something that's always never complete, but always incomplete? Does it make any sense? No, it does not. And here's how we close. The dragon and his beasts are always one step from completion, but never quite there. Jesus is the perfect one. But interestingly, Jesus isn't even a seven. He's one better. Why? Because if you take the Greek name of Jesus, which is Iesus, and you do the gematria of this, his name comes out to the number 888. Which is to say that Jesus is the one that is one better than even complete completeness. Jesus is one better than even perfection. The dragon was 666, failure upon failure upon failure. Jesus is the 888 that never fails and never fails and never fails. Who will you worship? It's as simple as that. If you look around the world around us, and I'll invite the praise team up to finish. I think it's fairly clear, at least to me, that there are a lot of things in the world that's trying to get us to falter. And if you think this isn't true, the number of things that are acting as these powers to get your attention is astronomical. So many of the youth today think that the thing that they need is the approval of others. That's why social media is so popular. And this is not a guilt trip. Oftentimes you can come in here and talk about these things, talk about Jesus and worship him and do all these things, and yet the only thing that's on your mind is whether someone liked your Instagram post or your Facebook post or your Snapchat and how many things you have and all those things. That's what's going on in your mind. Or you come in here and you do all of this, which is fine. But if we're being honest in our hearts, the thing that we're worried about is how we look. For some of you seniors, and again, I'm not blaming you, maybe the thing that you're thinking about is, do I look good enough for my senior picture that I'm going to take after service? And the reason why I'm highlighting it isn't because those things are necessarily bad. It's the things. Those things are the things that the enemy uses to get your attention, your allegiance, and your worship onto something else other than God. And that's how he wins. That's why we got to worship Jesus and only Jesus. And you can put it to the test. Try to worship anything else other than God. Anything. Anything. Success, grades, fame, whatever, anything. Put it to the test, and you'll always find that if you give it enough worship, you'll find that it always fails. It always makes you feel much more terrible than you started. It always makes you feel like you're not good enough. It always makes you feel like you don't have enough. It always makes you feel something other than what you are, which is indeed a glorious son and daughter of the Almighty King. Only worshiping Jesus will help you 
and get you to feel as you really are, which is free, loved, beloved, beautiful, treasured. Anything else doesn't measure up. Here's wisdom, Jesus says, or John says. Let him or her who has understanding interpret and figure out the number of the man, of a man, of man itself, and that is incomplete. Everything that is of man is always going to be somewhat, a little or a lot, incomplete. Jesus is the only one that's complete. Unfortunately, many people who stand right up here, right as I am, will try to get you twisted by the ways of the beast, will try to get you to focus their attention on anything other than Jesus. If I ever in here make it seem like you need to worship me or give me your praise or your adoration or anything like that, then I've become that of a false prophet. But in here, all we ever do is worship the only true king and emperor. It's what we're made for. It's what you're made for. And that's how we win versus the dragon. That's how we win versus the first beast and the second beast. And that's how we win this world. That's how God wins this world, as we worship ever more fervently the only true king and emperor. So as we get into a time of worship, I encourage you, all of you, to think about the little and the biggest thing, that which you give your allegiance and your worship to that's other than God. See, I think all of a sudden, we've always thought that when we say God must be the number one or you have to worship God and God alone, it was always this like duty thing, responsibility thing, you have to do this. No, no, it's not you have to do this because if you do not do it, you will suffer the consequences. So ask yourself, what am I worshiping? What am I giving my allegiance to? Who am I giving my allegiance to that's not Jesus? And I hope and I pray that we would all give our hearts and our attention first and foremost to Jesus because then everything else becomes that much more beautiful. And then you and I will all be who we're all meant to be. So let's take a minute and just respond to him and hear the good news that this only lasts a little while. And yeah, it's going to be harsh. The beast is preventing people from buying and selling, living out their lives. He's also killing the people who don't worship. It's happening all over the place. But we stand not strong. We stand committed to worshiping Jesus, and he makes us strong. So will we do that together? So that whatever comes down the pipeline, whatever we face in life, whatever the enemy is out doing, trying to ruin us, trying to hurt us, trying to get people to turn their allegiance, we will stand as a church, we will stand as a community, we will stand as poema and say, no, we worship Jesus because he's the only one worthy of it. Because the dragon is the 666, the always incomplete, the forever completely incomplete, but Jesus is the 888, the always and forever never failing, always complete, more than complete, perfect God, the only one worthy of worship. Take a moment, let's pray and respond, and then the praise team will lead us out.